The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Good morning, my name is Dave Parton, the pastor here, and I'm excited about continuing our sermon series through uh, the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 6 today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there in front of you on a seat. There's also a Bible. Feel free to turn there. Um, Romans in the New Testament, uh, after the Gospels, then Acts, then Romans. Uh, so Romans 6, 1 through 14 will be our passage for the morning. We are kind of in a, a crucial step in Paul's exposition of his argument through um, understanding the, the gospel, the first, uh, first few opening verses. He kind of lays a foundation for uh, God's salvation and that it's accessible to all who believe in Jesus and what Jesus has done. And as he introduced this idea of the, the power that changes us, we we recognize that it's from God. He is the one. And it's going to continue to be the theme throughout our study. And then in chapters 1 through 3, Paul kind of confronts us with this stark reality that there's this universality of sin, that uh, sin is ingrained in all of us as people. He kind of paints this picture of none that are righteous, or none are righteous, not even one, and both for the Jews, uh, which Paul was the culture he was from, the people group he's from, but also the non-Jews, as he uh, often used the word Gentiles, Um, and this weight of universal sinfulness that goes across all of us, it's kind of uh, the the backdrop of the grace that he begins to speak about from chapters 3 and 4. And as Paul continues to uh, kind of make points or objections to his own argument, he wants us to make sure that we understand it's very clear that Jesus Christ, the one we have been singing to, the one Miss Debbie was telling us about this morning, he is the one that we lean on, we stand on, in our firm foundation but through sin, much sin, uh, sin uh, of the prodigal son that Miss Debbie referenced, and also the brother, the self-righteousness, um, this idea that I'm going to rely on my lineage or my culture, that God must love me because we are uh, followers of God in this area or in my family. It's just not right. It reminds us that um, it takes faith, and he, we talked about Abraham and Abraham's faith. And then last chapter, chapter 5, it kind of deepens our understanding of grace, this idea that we can be saved, and focuses in on that it was within our sinfulness. It was while we were in rebellion. It's while we were turning our back on God that God made a way for us to have a relationship with him, that the entire work is his, and then we can no longer boast. So there's no boasting in Christianity. We've been talking about that as well. But through last week, as we talked about Adam bringing sin and death, Jesus bringing the Christ, and grace abounds, there's this key, key passage from last week, Romans 5.20. And some of these passages will be up on the screen for you. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So Paul addresses issues that might arise when one reads something like that, that... 
as sin increases, grace continues to increase as well. Is it okay that we just keep on sinning? That's our passage for today that Paul wants to speak to. And I think this chapter kind of marks a turning point of where we have been kind of heavy on theology that we kind of turn towards practicality. What does it mean to go from theology to action? This idea of theology of sin and grace to living out a life that fights sin and lives in grace. And I just want to say, as many of you guys teach your kids things, maybe you teach at work, but there's this idea that when you teach, uh, there's a time where um, most of the learners can't wait for the practical side. Maybe you went to a technical school or maybe you went to a university and you spent months in a classroom, maybe possibly years just looking at charts and books. And the whole time you're like, I can't wait to start doing what I came to learn. But in many fields of study, it's very important that we take time to learn, that we take time to feed the mind before we just jump in and start working with our hands. Consider a, an electrician who gets kind of ahead of the game and he just starts running lines through a building thinking he knows what he's doing, but by the end, as he finishes his last line, he recognizes as the inspector shows up, the gauge wire was not correct for this commercial building and he must remove them all because he did not study well. Or consider a doctor who prescribes medicine but has not thought through how it might interact with other medicines that might be going on in this person's body. And they didn't spend as much time in, in, in the, or, uh, the chemical side, the chemistry side of how these chemicals will, will interact in the human body. And a good doctor will take those into account. But you must study first. And the same is for theology, that this is why we, we need to spend time in, in the Word. We need to spend time with God. We need to spend time around other uh, more mature believers so that we can understand with our minds so that our hearts can then be affected by, by what our minds know. And then our hearts will motivate, motivate us to do the things that we do day by day. And it's inside this kind of rhythm of life where our minds, hearts, hands, and feet are all in sync with the ways of God that we can live a life that's confident. That you're not like, I think I'm pleasing God. I think I'm doing the right thing. I kind of wish I was doing the right thing, but I'm not quite sure. But there's a truth in the scriptures in a way that Jesus lived that you could be more confident in your relationship with God, your life will be more satisfying, not only because of the confidence you have in God, but because it actually is the way that Jesus would want us to live. So today we're moving within the theology world, but also into the practical world. And Paul challenges us in Romans 6 to understand that grace is not just a license to continue to sin, but actually an empowerment to live a new life in Christ. We learn here in this chapter, that being united with Christ and his death and resurrection actually transforms us. We, we, we move from a reign of sin, a reign of following the, the representative of Adam, into a reign of life with Jesus Christ as our representative. And my hope today is as we study this passage that you'll have a more understanding of God's glory, you'll have more understanding of grace and sin and salvation, and your mind will change your hearts and your hearts will change your actions we can take understanding of what is spiritually real and live day by day in confidence and knowing that this is the way we were designed to live and God is glorified.
we'll see that the true Christian life is a life where grace, this idea of forgiveness, this idea of mercy and grace combined into salvation is actually the best way that we can live as people in accepting the standing that God has put upon us that we've sing about multiple times, that we are forgiven. But this forgiveness does not give us an excuse to continue to sin. But this freedom enables us to live life to the full, righteous and holy. To live under grace is a call to live a, a life that's transformed. That's not the way of the world, the way that we were. But it's a life that mirrors the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. It's a life where grace reigns, not as some sort of passive coverage of sin where, oh, it's fine, it's fine, but actually an active change agent in our lives. Let's pray before we begin reading chapter 6. Father, we thank you for the ability to come here today, even through a snowstorm, and I ask that you would allow... uh, this passage, the truths of the passage, that our minds would understand the true, the truth, the way you see us, the reality of who we are, the forgiveness that we can have in a new light, in a new way, in a way that maybe we have missed before. Build on the foundation that you have begun, Jesus. Help us. It's in your name, amen. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died, who died to sin, still live in it? I think this passage is one of the strongest passages in the Bible about the freedom of the gospel. If you're sharing the gospel with somebody... And they say something like, so you're saying I can do anything I want and God will accept me? I can do anything I want. I can sin as much as I want and God will still accept me? That's the kind of argument Paul just laid out in five chapters because Paul now has to say that. That's the freedom of the gospel. There's no sin so great that God's like, you kind of went, you know, a million and two and that's too many, right? That's not a thing. If you could share the gospel so freely that somebody might say, so I can sin all I want, then you did a great job sharing the gospel. But your answer must be Romans 6.2. By no means. Part of our salvation is recognizing that sin is killed. That sin can be put to death and that we should not live in it. So remember... 520, these are, put these side by side on the screen. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So when we mess up, when we continue to fail in our sin, grace must continue to cover us. So grace, the beauty, the love, the greatness of God, it's, it's amazing grace that we sing about. But to help us understand this idea, I think about this time when I was with the kids and I was at the checkout line at a store and I opened my wallet up and I pulled out some some cash, you know, like the green stuff. And my kids were like, whoa, whoa, dad, don't use that. Don't use your money. Use the card. 
because they don't get it, right? They don't get it. It's like, the money's, that's good. That's good. The card's like, that's like magic, you know? That's like, you just do that thing, and the stuff just is given to you, and the police don't chase you. It's amazing. So from a kid's perspective, it's free. And it may be, maybe this has been an example for you. It's like giving your teenagers um, a credit card on vacation, and you don't give them any expectations. They may think, hey, we can do what we want. We can have the food, the stuff, the rides, the games. All we have to do is swipe that card. But you may ask mom and dad, should we go on spending so the free stuff abounds? And the parents say, by no means, right? That's like, that's the by no means. By no means. Why? Because the card is tied to a, a line of credit that must be paid back. And every time you swipe that card, the debt accrues. And the kids maybe grow up and they understand this. And they realize that the card, actually there's a power to it. And when mom and dad say, you can spend $100 on this card, they understand that in that, there's a, there's a generosity that's happening, and, and it's a gift to the kids. That they're not going to pay the parents back for that, but the mom and dad will then need to pay it back, of course. So when Paul says, yes, your sins will be covered by God's grace, it does not mean that we take advantage of the freedom that we have in Christ. And this is the, the pattern that we're going to be reading about today. And he gives us some key questions to help us fight this selfish tendency to assume that we can just go on sinning because grace just continues to abound. Romans 6, 2, after he says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Point number one today, Christians have died to sin and broke the bondage. Christians have died to sin and broke the bondage. We have two points today. One's about death and one is about life. So what I've done here, these first seven verses or so, I've I wanted just to put them out just to point out the number of times that Paul continues to remind us that sin is dead for the Christian. So in verse 2, you see this here. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 3 and 4, we were baptized into Jesus' death and buried. And, and, and let's pause here for a second. This idea of baptism, we, we have a baptismal, and sometimes we'll put a baptismal here, and we use this as a symbol to show the death and resurrection of a new believer. That's a symbol uh, Christ has given to us, God has given to us, many great reasons why he's given it to us. But this word baptized, uh, it's, it's just a word that we would say to dip. 
or to soak. Uh, they would use this word baptize for if they wanted to change a piece of cloth to a new color, they would take the cloth, dip it in the dye, and when they would baptize it, they would pull it out, and then the cloth would no longer be identified with its original color. It would now be identified with the color that was in the cup. So when we've been baptized with Jesus in his death and buried, what Paul is saying here is you've now identified with death. The death of sin. Verse 5, we are united with Jesus in a death. Our old self was crucified with Jesus so that our body of sin might be brought to nothing. A dead body is, is nothing. It just lays there. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. If you, are, if you have died, you are set free. This idea of set free is like the, the bondage is broken. The chains are broken. The cuffs, the straps of sin are now broken. So remember earlier when I was saying that our minds need to be informed, that we think differently, and then our hearts change, and then our actions and our bodies will act differently. This is what Paul is communicating here. So if you've become a Christian, that's what he's speaking to Christians here. If you've become a Christian, you've admitted you're a sinner. So you've admitted there's a need. You've believed that there's a Savior, Jesus, who did a work for you. He lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose again. But then thirdly, you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior. You've said, I want Jesus to be my ruler, the one, I, the one who reigns. You've, you've pledged this truth. So if you have done that, you've then died to sin the same way that Jesus died on a cross. So what are the implications? I think this is important for us. Does this mean that you will never sin again once you become a Christian? And the whole church said, no, that's good. It's not good, but it's good that you know that, right? Because we, we will do that today. We will do that soon. We will do that in the next moments, possibly. As a Christian, we do sin. Does this mean that you won't feel trapped in the patterns of sin as a Christian? No. But what does it mean? What's the truth of this? It means that you actually are not trapped. You may feel trapped, but you're not trapped in sin. You're free. You're set free. You have work to do to live out the freedom that is actually the truth. This is the the mental part that we have to get in our minds that, okay, I feel like I'm chained, but 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 I'm not. And that's the beauty of coming to faith in Christ is, being reminded and taught and understanding and being with other believers that are living in freedom, that you too can be the same. And I I feel like this gets a little complicated, so I want to focus in on verse 6 for a second. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So I think here's the... The clear truth of the passage, speaking of this idea of being enslaved to sin. One is we see that without faith in Jesus, you are enslaved to sin. And with faith in Jesus, as a Christian, you're no longer a slave to sin. Sin no longer can control you. But I think based on these truths, there's two questions that might arise right now. You may be thinking when it comes to somebody 
that's seemingly good. They don't seem like they're a slave to sin. Um, but they don't follow Jesus. But they seem like they're doing fine. They don't seem like a slave. They seem like they're doing good. And the second thing you may feel like as a Christian, you might feel enslaved. So let's look at the first one. Without faith in Jesus, you're a slave to sin. What if a good person really is seemingly free, just doing good things left and right? Here's the main problem. You cannot work to please God. We've, we've, we've read over and over again for like five chapters that people are not good enough to please God. No one is righteous. No, not one. It is only through the work of taking on the righteousness of Jesus that we can please God. It's not our, our goodness that he is impressed with. God sees all the impurities, all the desire for self-recognition, all the desires of approval, this idea of judgment and comparison that you would carry around in your self-righteousness of others. It's only the sacrifice of Jesus that can restore a relationship with God. And when Jesus is rejected by a person, and that person, in a way, says, God, you kind of wasted that sacrifice on me. I didn't need that. What you're saying to God is, you're God. And I would say, Paul's saying, you are enslaved to sin. Secondly, I propose that with faith, you're not enslaved. But as a Christian, this idea of feeling trapped or feeling like, I feel like there's some things in my life I can't seem to get right. And you, you might be a strong Christian. And for months and years, you're fighting this body of sin as Paul just brought it up. There's, a, there's parts of, of who you are that just struggle. It's struggle for you to get out of that, those past patterns of your life. I just want to say this morning, you're not alone. Many of us in this room know exactly what you're doing. But what makes you a Christian is you're fighting. You feel remorse. You feel the rebellion against God. And you are regular repenting. And you have an authentic heart that wants to please God. You want to run back to him because you know that he's a loving father. And he will embrace you. And you feel the remorse of the crucifixion on your behalf. You know that you've been united in his death and your sins are forgiven. But... You know it was not free, like the credit card. You know that it cost so much for God. And you don't take any of your sins lightly. You're literally fighting sin. And this is not enslavement. This is the, the pruning, the maturing of the Christian. And my hope is, is that you'll keep fighting, knowing that you don't have to be chained any longer. But you know you are free. And there is pruning and maturing in this life. And my hope for you is that freedom is coming soon in that area or in those areas. What a wonderful way to live this life is to have just places of your past that where you were so 
in the patterns of darkness, but now you're free? When you sing some of these worship songs, those things come to mind. And when you meet other people that are kind of in that same cycle, Christians that are in that same cycle you're in, you can give hope. What a beautiful life we have in the freedom of Jesus. Amen? But a second response, this I'm a Christian, but I feel enslaved to sin. I think the second one is you might not be a Christian. If you're in regular, repetitive sin that you don't feel remorse for, that you don't consider Jesus dying on the cross for your salvation for, I would check that. And that's between you and God. But I hope it's between you and God and maybe another Christian in your life. Because my hope for you is that you're getting this right. Because the last thing I would want is somebody to regularly come to neighborhood church and think for years and years and years that you're following Jesus and you're not. And I think one way to show if you're living and walking and stepping in the Holy Spirit is the remorse for sin. And this is one reason we've chosen our church to have communion every week. We want, us, we want us to rightly respond to that. And in confession time, we talk to God, but in communion, we, we kind of commune with Jesus. We get close to him in a special way, and we have to deal with that sin. And if that's something you do, praise the Lord. If that's something that you're not doing, my hope for you is you would consider giving your life to Jesus. That you would say, Jesus, I am tired of taking advantage of you. I've not truly given my life to you. May today be the day that I say yes to you. He will save you and break those bonds. So in review of point number one, Christians have died to sin and broke the bondage. Now we're going to focus in on the life part. Let's continue reading. We'll start in seven again. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So point number two, here's the beautiful truth. Christians are alive and free. We are no longer dead and stuck. So since we're saved out of slavery and we've died to sin, there's life, there's freedom. So like I did before in the first half, let's see what we've read in the chapter so far about the idea of life and freedom. I've put the verses up here for you as well. In verse 4 we read, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's a new life we live as Christians. Verse 5, what shall certain, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. One who has died has been set free from sin. In verse 7. In verse 8, we will also live with him. Verse 9, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. This is eternal life. Verse 10, Jesus lives to God. And since we identify with Jesus, one who lives to God 
so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Christians are alive and free. So what are the implications of this? That we are free. We have life. Well, one is, as we explain in baptisms, you, we, we die to sin, but we are raised to new life. That means your life in the kingdom has purpose, a purpose like you've never had before that allows for eternal things to happen for you and for those in your life. The sin has no final control over you. You are free. We live with Jesus in the resurrection. Jesus promised that he would be with his followers forever till the end of the age, and Jesus is alive. We worship a living God, and so are we. And we're promised that we'll never die spiritually. Yes, this body will die, but we live in the kingdom now, the same kingdom that we're going to continue to live in forever. And lastly, based on the theme of this message, I think that is Paul's focus. Christians are free to live a life of purity and to live a life of holiness. Church, I don't I don't know how many people have said this to you. You've had mentors in your life or parents. But you don't have to keep doing what you're currently doing. You don't have to do that. Today, you can start making new steps and change because you are set free in Christ. Who you were yesterday does not need to be who you are today and tomorrow. Jesus is alive. He wants to help you. He wants your life to be patterned after what he has done for you. He died and rose again. May we have many of these death and resurrections in our life where we put bad habits to death, but then we take new habits and we live them out for the glory of God. And this is the beauty of repentance. We feel remorse, but then we turn to God. We say, thank you for forgiving me. And then we walk in a new way. So we need to do the work. It's the next step. It's today. And Jesus helps us because he says, each day has enough trouble of its own. So let's try to get today for the glory of God, right? Let's try today to get today for the glory of God. And then tomorrow when we wake up, he's like, we say the Lord's Prayer. We say, thank you for the new mercies today, Jesus. May I get today right for the glory of God. And we take these steps. May we all be reminded that we're not fighting sin to have a relationship with God. We're fighting sin because we have a relationship with God. I'm going to say that again. We don't fight sin to have a relationship with God. We fight sin because we have a relationship with God. Just like my kids, they choose not to take advantage of the card when I give it to them. Not because I'm going to get an email or a text as soon as they use it. Not that's not the reason. The reason is because they love mom and dad and we have a relationship. And when we say $100, they're like, okay, it's $100. It's about a relationship is why we fight sin. And this is how our lives should seek the glory of God. We want to honor God, take advantage of the grace. Not take, sorry, not take advantage of the grace. He gives it to us freely. 
You might be in some sin, some patterns of sin, and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm not, I'm probably going to do that again, Dave. You know what? That sin will be covered by the cross. But my hope is, is that sin becomes less and less and less until it's in the past. And then you get to live in freedom going, that stunk. That smelled bad. That was hard. And then as you learn, like most people probably deal with that because that's what sin does to us. And you have this like part of your life, you've kind of like recognized the truth and God's freed you from it. You can then become a person that begins to point others to the truth and freedom. And there's still sadness for our brothers and sisters who continue to fight those sins. But there's a strength and a joy when you spend time with Jesus and saying, God, thank you so much that I'm not doing that anymore. You guys have prayers like that? I hope you do. What a wonderful way to talk to God. Look at the work that he's done all around this room. And this is how Paul ends this section to encourage all of us to keep fighting. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Friends, may our hands, may our feet, may our mouths, our eyes, our ears, may they be used for the ways of God in our communities. May we trust in the amazing grace that he has freed us from sin. Not using this life as a waste for our own personal pleasures, but using our lives for eternal purposes. I promise you, It'll be the greatest satisfaction you'll ever have. In review today, Christians have died to sin and broke the bondage. Point number two, Christians are alive and free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins that our sins are paid for, past, present, and future. Father, forgive us where we have taken advantage of the grace and we thought and made plans and chose to sin knowing that you've told us it was unhealthy, it didn't honor you, it would hurt us and hurt others, but we chose to do it anyway. Father, forgive us for those thousands of times that we've done that. But Jesus, I thank you that your grace is enough that it abounds all the more when we sin. And I pray that we're a church that lives in freedom. I pray that we're a church that lives in freedom because we love you and we love one another and we choose to seek out relationships with one another to become people who live lives of righteousness and not selfishness. As we come to the table, Remind us of the pain, the cost, the payment of the debt that you paid on our behalf. And may we make steps towards righteousness today. It's in your name. Amen.